Thank you so much, Alex and Lorinda, for that beautiful song. You know, uh, if you're blessed by our special music, I'd encourage you to uh, go to our website. And uh, Chase is faithful. I don't, I, I don't know that he gets every single one, but he gets a lot of our special songs on, uh, on video and puts them on, on a YouTube channel. And if you, if you go to our media uh, section on our website, usually the most current one is up. I think it's the most current one. And uh, if you just click on, on that, it'll play, but you can also, you can go right to our link from there, just click on the little YouTube sign on it. It'll take you right to our uh, channel. And what's really neat is, is you can just, it'll just play. And so if you're, um, uh, if you're busy around the house or driving in your car and you put it on your phone or whatever, um, you can listen to good holiness music uh, sung by people you know and have confidence in and uh, be a blessing to you. And so um, I, I just want to encourage you to do that. Uh, Chase is faithful, uh, and we appreciate Chase. He maintains our website and uploads our sermons and um, puts up good music. And so uh, I want to encourage you that... Uh, you would take advantage of that. Take advantage of that and um, trust that you'll be blessed uh, through that. It's wonderful to get blessed a second time or a third time off, off some of these songs. We get the first time here and then, then get it again later. We live in a wonderful time in history, don't we? Wonderful time in history. There was a time where the only music you ever got to hear was live music. And uh, man, when what was Edison came up with his little crank and wheel, and man, that was exciting, you know. And of course, none of you were around for that. I know, I, I know. But uh, we're really blessed. I mean, we can well, not only can we hear it, but we can watch it. Amen. So, uh, if you have your Bibles, turn with me, if you would, to Joshua chapter twenty-four. Joshua chapter twenty-four. I'm realizing that I'm getting old enough where I think I've preached more Father's Day messages than I've heard. And uh, I was going to say that I don't know that I've ever heard a Father's Day message from this passage, uh, but then I realized that it's probably at, at this point it's my fault if I haven't. So um, uh, trust that the Lord will help us as we endeavor to mind the Lord we're really going to be preaching from the entirety of the chapter, um, but um, we're not going to read all of it. Uh, some of you would get weary, but I invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. We're going to pick it up, uh, pick up our reading in, in verse 14. Joshua is, is well stricken in years, which is the King James way of saying he's an old man. And uh, this is his last, his last sermon to his people. In fact, at the end of, of this chapter, he will, he will have passed. And uh, it's always interesting to, at least in, in, my, in my mind, to whenever a, 
Moses or Joshua or a David or Jesus or a Paul when they share their last words. Seems like, you know, those times are special when you know that, that that's the last opportunity you're going to have to share with the people you care about, that you love. And uh, often what's most important is what's t- spoken in those moments. So I invite you to, to look with me at Joshua chapter 24 and verse 14. It says, Now therefore fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in truth and put away your gods which your fathers served on the other side of the flood and in Egypt and serve ye the Lord. And if it seem evil unto you to serve the Lord, choose you this day whom ye will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served that were no... Uh, on the other side of the flood, or the gods of the Amorites, in whose land ye dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And the people answered and said, God forbid that we should forsake the Lord and serve other gods. For the Lord our God, he is it that brought us up and our fathers out of the land of Egypt, from the house of bondage, and which did those great sights signs in our sight, and preserved us in all the way wherein we went, and among all the people through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the people, even the Amorites, which dwelt in the land. Therefore will we also serve the Lord, for He is our God. Now I want to jump down to verse 29. And it came to pass, after these things, that Joshua the son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being an hundred and ten years old. And they buried him in the border of his inheritance in Timnath-Sarah, which is in Mount Ephraim on the north side of the hill of Gaash. And Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders that outlived Joshua and which had known all the works of the Lord, which he had done for Israel. Like to speak to us on the legacy of a father, a legacy of a father. Lord, we thank you for the heroes of the faith. We thank you for those that have stood true and faithful and have been examples for us. And we ask that you'd help us as we endeavor to rightly divide the word of truth. May you be glorified and honored in it. For you alone are worthy in your precious name. And pray. Amen. You may be seated. Someone asked a little boy what the Father's Day was, and he said, well, Father's Day is like Mother's Day, except for you don't have to spend as much on the gift. <laughs> and apparently, historically, that's been pretty accurate. I don't know if it's true now with the in the age of cell phones, but but it used to be when, uh, of course, the um, you know we had long distance. Our young people don't know what long distance is anymore. But Mother's Day was the number one long distance phone call day of the year, and Father's Day was the number one collect call day of the year. <laughs> How does that work? <laughs> it just seems to be that's the. the just the sentiment that Father's Day is much like Mother's Day, except for you just don't have to quite spend as much on the gift. 
we appreciate our fathers, but so oftentimes the words are unspoken. And I don't know for you what Father's Day means. I know for, for Dodd, the, the woman who was sitting in a Mother's Day service, she was a little disappointed there was no such thing as a Father's Day. See, her mother had died and her father had raised her. And so she, she wanted there to be a Father's Day. And so she decided, you know, June was the month that her father's birthday was in. And so she thought that'd be a good idea. And what started in Spokane, Washington, the dream of a, of a woman who wanted to honor her father got the attention of President Coolidge, and in 1924, uh, finally, Father's Day came into existence. And I don't think we have anybody here from 1924. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> but you think, wow, that's not that long ago, really. It's not really that long. I mean, it's not even been 100 years. And yet, here we are on this Sunday in in June, as we think about Father's Day and we honor our fathers, and and I just as I just think about Father's Day and and think about what does it mean? It meant so much to Dodd that you know a father that raised her by himself, and how hard that had to be for him. I know for me, Father's Day is often a, a day that I reflect about my uh, parenting skills. You know, I guess I do a lot of self-reflection. I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, my professors and, and, uh, have no, often note that I do a lot of self-reflection. And, uh, and, and Father's Day is one of those days that, that you know, you're just kind of trying to measure yourself and see how you're doing. And then in Sunday school, you know, Brother Doyle led, a, led our class into, you know, all these, what, what a father should be and and I don't know if the other fathers were doing it as well, but mentally, what grade do you get in that, in that one? And you know, one of the things I find that's difficult about being a father is that there's no progress reports. You know, in school, you know, halfway through the marking period, they'd send home this progress report. It wasn't a report card. It just lets you know how you were doing. And if you weren't doing very good then you knew you better work hard the second half to get those grades up. And usually, if you weren't working so great, your dad would usually say to you, you better get these grades up, or your mom. But you get that progress report. You'd have an idea. Or maybe it's in your job, you know, six-month yearly evaluations. Let you know, are you, are you doing a good job at, your, at work? And if you're not doing very good, they tell you the areas you need to improve on uh, before you find yourself in the unemployment line. I don't know. Those, sometimes those evaluations are helpful. Sometimes they're not. But you know, with parenting, with being a dad, being a mom, we don't really get those. We don't really know if we're doing good. And you know, I, sometimes I wonder if if in the process of trying to, to do self, these self-reflections and as we think about it, so oftentimes I think we grade ourselves really, really hard. You know, we see where our kids are, you know, and I, 
being a counselor and I've worked with parents and, and, I, and I've had parents that, oh, my kid just can't, I can't potty train them. They just won't get potty trained and they're all stressed out. And I look at them and say, how many 18-year-olds that are still wearing diapers? Relax. It's not a big deal. They'll figure it out. But it's really hard to know how well we're doing in the old parenting department. It's hard to grade ourselves. And I don't know how you feel about it, but it just seems like to me that oftentimes when I've listened to Father's Day messages by other people, or it seems like on Mother's Day, you know, mothers are wonderful and we love our mothers, and on dads, on Father's Day, it's you dads, you really shape up. And you know, it's not fair. But you know what I think it is? I think, I think one of the th- reasons most of the time pastors are men and we realize, man, there's a, lot of, there's a lot we could be doing better. And we just kind of feel that weight of responsibility. And I look at a man like Joshua, and, and Joshua's people, his, his family... They served God all the years of his life. And all the elders that outlived him, the people all served God. And I read that and I go, wow, Joshua, you are an awesome dad. I mean, he was not only the dad to his family, his house that he talks about, that they are going to serve the Lord, but, but he's also a father to an entire nation. He's their George Washington in a lot of ways. He's the general that started, uh, their very first general, and he takes over for Moses. He's, uh, he's the one who helps conquer the, the promised land. In a lot of ways, he's the father of the nation. And... For as long as he lives and as long as the elders who outlive him live, the people all serve the Lord. And then we get into the book of Judges and we see the mess that they get in shortly thereafter. But as long as they had Joshua's testimony and his memory, they were serving God. How can a stiff-necked people... Who, I mean, we've re- we read uh, you know, about how they keep wanting to go back to Egypt and all their mistakes and all their failures. We read about it under Moses... How is it they get this season where they are actually doing pretty good? And I thought, man, I want to I be like Joshua. I want to be like Joshua. I want my children and my children's children and, and my great-grandchildren, if I live long enough to see them, I, I want them all to serve the Lord. I want Joshua's testimony. How did he get that testimony? How, how, how did he get the, that privilege? What, what was it about Joshua? And I believe that, that the, what sets Joshua apart from so many is that he consistently demonstrated his love. Consistently. The first thing that I noticed is he demonstrated his love because he fought for his people. Now, you remember that they've crossed the, the Red Sea on dry ground, and they're, they're doing good. They're They're, they're awesome. You know, there's uh, Marion's gotten out the tambourine and she's singing and 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 uh, they're uh, the, they're having a party and they're singing about how God threw the Egyptians into the sea and and they're having a great time. And then all of a sudden, what shows up? But the Amalekites. 
And they, they're set, it's time for war. I mean, it, what's this little nation with fledgling nation of slaves with, as far as I know, they don't have any weapons. I don't know where they would have got some unless they gathered what washed up on the shore from the Egyptians. I don't know where they got their weapons, but now we've got a, an army that's coming and the children of Israel, they don't, they've never, they don't have a West Point. They don't have a boot camp. These guys have never fought before. And Moses says to Joshua, Joshua, I want you to lead the people. I know they're not an army. I know they don't know anything about marching. I know they don't know anything about working together. But I, I want you to go and I want you to fight and lead the people. Really? I mean, I know that our nation is founded on the idea of a well-regulated militia. But during the Civil War, the, when the South invaded the North... And the little militias that would of the north, especially in Pennsylvania, would face the army of Robert E. Lee. Robert E. Lee wasn't even worried about them. They, would, they went through those militias like nothing. Those those, the, they're, they're barely trained. They have their, their shotguns and their, you know, their weapons of home. But these, his army was so... Uh, disciplined that he was not even concerned when they would face one of these militias in Pennsylvania. A well-trained army can take care of an untrained army even if they've got more numbers, even if they've got better weapons. A disciplined army wins almost every single time. They're, they're going to lose. They should lose. And Joshua said, Joshua takes up the sword and, and the spear or whatever, he, whatever it was and he, he takes his men into battle. And I, I'm, can we just pause here and, and, and I have this question. How does a boy who's been raised as a slave, who's been raised in fear, never knowing when the masters were going to, to kill them, never know when they're going to beat them, never know uh, what was going to happen, whether they were going to be food and, or whatever. How does this, this young man who's been raised in absolute fear suddenly face down an army with a bunch of untrained men? So oftentimes we read through these scriptures and we don't even realize how human they are. This is a boy who's known nothing but fear all of his life. I don't know how old he is at this point. But he leads them into battle and he fights for his people. Thirteen times Joshua will go into battle for his people. Thirteen battles. Another time he would spy out the land when, when the, Moses sent the 12. So by my count, 14 different times, Joshua puts his life on the line for his people. To fight for them. To encourage them. And I'm just, I'm just amazed. Now most of us, most of us dads, we're not, we're not going to take a gun. We're not going to go in a foxhole somewhere. Hopefully none of us have to do that. But you know what, dads? 
we need to show our love for our families by fighting for them. One of the ways that we do that is through the place of prayer. And we'll fight battles, spiritual battles. We should be fighting spiritual battles for our children in the place of prayer. Do you know, uh, one of the things that I'm realizing more and more is, is that the fiery darts of the enemy just aren't aimed at us. They're aimed at the ones that we love. You know, it, so oftentimes I remember growing up as a child and, and hearing about putting on the whole armor of God and, you know, having the shield of faith to quench the fiery darts of the enemy. But I've been realizing more and more that that God hasn't given me that shield just to protect me, but, but to cover those that I care about. That I would lift up the shield of faith and quench the fiery darts that are aimed at my wife, that are aimed at my children, that are aimed at my church. That through the place of prayer, that, that would aim, uh, lift up the, the shield of faith and quench the fiery darts that are, are aimed at our community and at our nation. And that God has allowed us the privilege of being men who are warriors in the place of prayer. And we can defend our people. But you know, uh, I, Joshua didn't do it alone. You remember those Amalekites as they're, as they're fighting, Joshua is there watching, the, or, or not Joshua, I'm sorry, Moses was watching the battle. And, and as he had his hands raised, the children were, of Israel were prevailing but as his arms would get tired, and, and man, you try holding your hands up for hours and see how well you do. Oh, his, his arms are getting tired, and they start going down, and, 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 and the Amalekites would start winning. And, and so, uh, what was it but two men, Aaron and Hur, they got on the other, each side of, of Moses, and they lifted up his arms to help him to, so that they could win the victory. You see, it, it wasn't Joshua just fighting the battles by himself. He couldn't have won those battles in his own strength and in his own power. But men, we've got to, we've got to band together. Those of you that, that your children are raised, lift up the, those that are, that are still raising their children. You lift up their arms in the place of prayer. You strengthen them. You come alongside and fight with them. And, and I think about the, the children and young people. We're going to be bringing in a, a bunch of them this week. And, and so many of them don't have anyone in the world who's praying for them. And it's our job. It's our job. That we would be those that would, we would cover them in prayers. They don't have a praying father. They don't have a praying mother. They don't have anyone that's lifting up their name to the Savior. Oh, that God would give us a burden to be warriors, not only for our children, but for the others that don't have that same privilege. How many of us can say that the reason that we're here today is because someone prayed for us? Probably every single one of us that is professing to be saved can say someone was praying for you. Whether it was a godly mother or a godly father or a grandparent or an aunt or, or maybe it was an uncle or, or maybe it was a church person who just loved you and cared about you. But you're here today because somebody was praying for you. 
And what about all those that don't have anyone to pray for them? Oh, folks, God's called us men, I believe especially our ladies too, but God's called us men to be warriors of the cross. And Joshua, Joshua was willing to put his life on the line time and time again, 14 times. He was willing to put his life on the line 14 times. He stood between the enemy and the people he loved. 14 times he kissed his wife and and children goodbye, not knowing whether he'd come home or not. And yet, Joshua was willing to demonstrate his love by fighting for his people over and over again. Oh, that God would raise up among us men who will fight for our children and fight for our church and fight for our community and the place of prayer. Oh, thank God for Joshua who is willing to stand in between the people and those that would seek to destroy them. Thank God for those that stood in between us and the reckless decisions we were making and the path of destruction we were taking, and they, they didn't let us go without setting up roadblocks of prayer along the way. Joshua demonstrated his love by fighting for his people. Not only did Joshua demonstrate his love for fighting for his people, but he, he demonstrated his love by telling them the truth. He told them the truth. You know, we live in a day... When love is defined by accepting and condoning everything that that person does and says. That's the definition of love today. And the world can't imagine a loving God who has has rules and regulations, a a God that says no to certain things. In fact, just this week, uh, uh, the news that was running the story of a a young man who uh, was fired from his Christian uh, camp counseling position because he was openly gay. And he said, I don't understand this. He says, I, I read the scripture and, it's, and I know that it says it's wrong, it's sin for me to, to be gay, but I also read that God is love. And that, and that so if, since he's love, I, I believe that means that he's okay with me doing this. We have a messed up definition of love. And Joshua stands before the people and says, listen, your fathers have served false gods. And you right now have false gods in the camp that you're worshiping. Even though God's done all these things for us, all the blessings that God's given us, you're still holding on to these idols. Does it seem wicked to you to serve God? I, I, I kind of imagine Joshua's kind of saying something a little bit like this. What's keeping you from minding God 100%? I mean, you've seen the miracles. You've heard the stories. None of them were there when when they crossed the Red Sea. Those all died in the wilderness. But they were there when they crossed the, the Jordan on dry ground. You saw the sun stand still. You seen the Lord send the hornets before you. You saw the hail that God sent down. You saw what God has done over and over and over again. Why are you holding on to these idols? And they said, we're going to serve God. And you know what he says? You can't serve God. 
You really, he says that you can't serve God. Well, what do you mean? Does that mean that, that all these cycles of sin that we find in Judges are, were, weren't their fault? No. What he's trying to help them to understand is as long as you're holding on to an idol, you can't hold on to God at the same time. It'll pull you apart. You know, I've heard people say that the definition of an idol is anything we love more than God. But I found in my life that, that that's not been good enough. Anything that even gets to be a close second becomes an idol. Anything that takes my attention off from God, anything that, that pulls my eyes off from Jesus, just becomes an idol to me and God begins to speak to me about it. If it begins to weave a veil between me and the Lord where I just can't see Him as clearly. If it brings confusion into my life where I, where I, can't, I can't determine what's right and wrong, it's an idol to me. And it's just better to deal without it. Sounds legalistic, preacher. Well, sometimes the truth sounds legalistic. I'm not, listen, I'm not talking about adding to God's word. I'm not, I'm not up here telling you you can't do this and you can't do that because it was an idol to me. That's, that's where we often get our, in trouble in our circles. Is it what's been an idol to, to individuals? They get up and testify or they get up and preach and say, this has been an idol to me, so it's wrong for all of you all to do it. That's not what Scripture teaches us. If it's an idol to you, get rid of it. That doesn't mean it's an idol to anyone else. Be very, very, very careful when you say that this is wrong for everybody just because God said it was wrong for you. That's where we get into legalism. But it's not legalistic to say God says this is wrong. We can't do this. We can't have this. This is, this is the line that God draws. Listen, folks, God can't be legalistic. He can't be. God's word can't be legalistic. Legalism is when we add to God's word requirements that are not there. And when God tells us something, and folks, when, 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 if you love your children, if, dads, you will speak the truth to them. Hopefully you'll do it lovingly. Hopefully you'll do it lovingly. But oh, folks, one of the best things that ever ever happens is when someone loves you enough to tell you the truth about what you're doing and the decisions that you're going to make. I think back to my own teenage years and I was, and I was trying to find my way serving God and I had spiritual parents. I thank God for those that, that in my church that, that stepped into that role, not having... Uh, having my father had passed away and my mother not serving God, I was thankful for the times they told me the truth. The times that I would say, I'm thinking about doing such and such, and they'd say, you better not do such and such. That'll lead you down a wrong road. The times that I, I would say, you know, I think this girl is, is something, and they'd say, don't you dare even think about that girl. She's not serving God. I thank God for people in my life that loved me enough to tell me the truth. 
I don't know where I'd be today if it wasn't for those that told me the truth about my condition or about my desires and where they were going to lead. And I know that our children don't always like to hear it. Let's be honest, we don't always like to hear it when people tell us the truth about ourselves. But Joshua loved his people. He demonstrated his love for his people by telling them the truth. Now there's a caution here. One of the things that we can do, and, and I think this is, this is probably really easy for me to fall into, I can already, before I even preach it, I already can hear my kids saying amen as I was preparing this. <laughs> but it's easy to fall into that we tell the truth, but we become critical. I was reading of a, a man who, who said that he loved baseball. He just, he just loved baseball. And he had a son, and his son started liking baseball, and that was exciting to him, you know, to be able to share that with his son. And he said that he wanted, he was so excited about his son wanting to play baseball that he was showing him all the correct ways to do things and, and, and uh, all the little nuances. That, and he said, I knew how to, how to help him. I mean, he, he was young. He was moldable. He, he said, I, I knew the things that would be the difference between being an amateur and a pro. He said, and we spend hours... And I'd critique him and critique him and critique him. We'd play a game and we'd get in the car. And he says, we fell into this habit of as soon as we got in the car to go, I would tell him all the things he did wrong in the game. And finally his son said, Dad, can we start by saying all the things I did right before we talk about the things I did wrong? That was that son speaking truth to the father. And it's so easy to fall into that. We want the best for our kids. Maybe we don't necessarily want them to play pro ball, but we want our kids to turn out excellent. We want them to become uh, great Christians. We want them to become uh, good citizens. We, we, we have these dreams for our kids. And, and so oftentimes we see all the, the shortcomings and we don't see how great they all really are. And so we have to walk this carefully, speaking the truth and speaking it in love, but also let them hear the good things in them. He said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. But they can't do it if they feel like they can never measure up and if they find that, that their picture of God is a God that we can never measure up to. And we could discourage and defeat our kids in their Christian walk without even, without even meaning to because we see all the areas that need improvement. And that's our focus. And listen, I'm saying ouch. John Wesley said, don't preach it until you're absolutely perfectly living it. Well, I, I can't take that advice. I'm just telling you. We have some growth to do. Joshua demonstrated his love for his people because he fought for them and because he told them the truth. But also as I read through Joshua and I read about through his life, you know what else I noticed about Joshua? Is he made lasting memories with his people. This is amazing to me. They cross the Jordan and what do they do? He says, go get the 
Each of you get a tri- uh, of your tribe, go and get a stone. I want you to build the monument. And when your children and your children's children ask what mean these stones, you tell them about how God helped us to cross the Jordan on dry land. And here, and I didn't read it to, uh, to this the morning, but, but they set up another stone monument here as a witness of the time that they decided that they were choosing God to be the one that they would serve. Joshua felt it was important to make lasting memories with his people. Oftentimes, as dads, we get caught up in the providing, and we're supposed to provide, and, and uh, we, we certainly know that. But we got to make memories. And you know, I, I, not only do we need to make, make just uh, uh, memories, but I think we need to make some spiritual memories. We celebrate spiritual victories, and we celebrate, you know, we go to camp together. And I know it's hard, taking off time for camp. But we go to camp together. We, 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 we do things together. Spiritual things together. But you know what else? It's not all spiritual. You've got to make some other memories, too. You've got to have some fun memories. Some things that you do together, working memories. You work together. You built something together. You, you fix something together. You went fishing together. You hunting together. You, you I don't know. You, wrote, you did painting or you wrote poetry together. Whatever you guys love. I don't think masculinity is a one-size-fits-all. But you do stuff together. Oftentimes, I like to take my children calling with me. If we're going to go visiting, I want them to come with me. We're making memories. Doing it together. Dad, the things that are important to you, do you invite your kids along? So it's easier to do it myself. Sure it is. It's a lot easier to do it yourself. But it's not your job to get it done right. It's your job to train up the next generation that's going to to do it. You know, we get so caught up in doing it right, and that's so important. It's important to me. I want it done right. I want it done well. But it's our job to to pass on the love of God and and our love of of family and our love of our church and our our love of of our hobbies. It's our job to pass those on to our kids. And when we do that, we build lasting memories. Maybe they're not stone monuments, but they're monuments of the mind. These are the things that they talk about. You know, my, my father-in-law my father-in-law tells the story about how he said that one time they, they had a tea party with, with his, I believe it was the two oldest girls, and, and he said, he says, you know, that's the thing they talk about. He says, I would have done a whole lot more of that if I'd have realized how important that was. He, he didn't realize at the time. He just thought he was just doing, you know, what dads do, and he did it this one time, and, and it's the thing that, that the two oldest girls talk about the most. He didn't know. He didn't realize that he was building a monument 
monument in their minds. But Joshua continued to build monuments. At least twice we find him building monuments to help the people to remember God's goodness to them and the promises that they've made. And I wonder the monuments that you've helped your children to build. Monuments, maybe not physical monuments, but monuments in the mind. Memories, precious memories. That when life gets hard, or when things don't make sense, or when they are sitting and reminiscing, that they think about those different places. Father's Day is a day when we reflect, at least as I do, on what it means to be a dad and how I'm doing. And I want my family to know that I love them. I want to demonstrate it, not just with words. Words are important. I want to demonstrate it because I fight for them in the place of prayer. Maybe I fight for them. I stand up, for, stand up to a situation that's not fair, not right. But I fight for them. They know that, that their dad has their back. I want them to know that I always tell them the truth. I'm going to try to do it in love, and I'm going to try to do it in kindness. But they, that if, they, if, they need, if they're asking, or whether they're asking or not, but their dad's going to tell them the truth, and I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I want to show them that I love them by the memories we build together. You know, as I look across our congregation, there's very few fathers and children that are together here. Some of you have your fathers here, and some of you have your children here. But what happens as we get older, distance separates us, death separates us. Sometimes we've separated ourselves. I hope not. But while we have opportunities, dads, let's demonstrate. Not by our own strength, not in our own might. God helped Joshua every step of the way. And I believe God's going to help you to demonstrate love to our families. Amen. Let's stand together. Appreciate our fathers. Appreciate the men of our church so very much. It's rare to have so many men in a church, and we just I just want you to know, men, I appreciate your example of being here. You've demonstrated that church and God are important to you by your attendance. And I want you to know I honor you for that. I honor you for that. Father, we're but dust. Father, I think I speak for probably most of the dads here. There's a lot of times we feel insecure about our roles as a dad. I wonder how we did when we had kids at home and how we're doing now. And just lots of, lots of questions. Lord, I ask that you'd help us all to be dads who demonstrate our love for our families. Lord, may we have the testimony of Joshua that our children served you. Oh, Father, for, for our children that aren't serving you, I ask that you would win them to yourself, help them to come to the end of themselves and find you. 
be with us as we go our separate ways. Bless all of our fathers. May they sense your help as they do their best to raise and to guide and to nurture each of their children in the fear and admonition of the Lord. In your precious name we pray. Amen.